Welcome to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. Packing the court, President Biden fulfills a campaign promise to study the issue, but stops short of any other commitment. Prince Philip is dead. The husband of Queen Elizabeth has died at the age of 99. We get the latest from London. But first, Amazon workers in Alabama have rejected the idea of forming a union. I'm joined now by Jay Green from The Washington Post. And does this really come as a surprise? Well, there certainly was a lot of enthusiasm behind the uh, election. And, you know, it, it actually drew attention from everybody, from, you know, from uh, President Biden to Bernie Sanders to an actor like Danny Glover. So is it a surprise? Maybe not, because Amazon certainly has a lot of resources to to beat back this effort, but there, there clearly was a lot of enthusiasm behind it. And all of this for just one warehouse or one fulfillment center when the company's got hundreds across the country. Yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously, you know, the way organizing works is you, you, you kind of work on one place at a time. Uh, you know, this facility uh, would have had just under 6,000 workers who would have been part of the bargaining unit had the union been elected, and Amazon has, you know, nearly a million workers in the U.S., so it, it would have been just a drop in the bucket. But nonetheless, I think a lot of folks saw this as a, uh, you know, a, a watershed uh, sort of event. It, it could have opened the door to other organizing drives at other Amazon facilities as well. Granted, it's still early, but is there any indication as to why the workers voted the way they did? Well, as I, say, I think, it, you know, organizing drives are hard, and this is in the South where uh, labor laws aren't particularly favorable for unions. Uh, you know, and Amazon put up a good fight, and the union would even say a dirty fight, and they're going to challenge what Amazon has done. But uh, nonetheless, you know, these are hard, uh, hard efforts. What about that dirty fight? What are union organizers accusing Amazon of doing? Yeah, there are a number of claims. Um, you know, one of the that Amazon has, you know, misled workers, has intimidated them. One of the more interesting ones is uh, the unions complained about a mailbox that, you know, appeared outside of the warehouse uh, immediately uh, before the uh, election started. And it was a mail-in election. And, you know, the union has uh, has said that, it, you know, the, the uh, installation of the mailbox could have influenced voters because they might have thought that Amazon had some role in counting the ballots. So they're certainly going to challenge that. There are other ones as well. Are any of those likely to gain traction? Well, you know, that'll be up to the uh, National Labor Relations Board who will hear these challenges. Uh, the union has, I think, until next week to file these claims. Uh, you know, the National Labor Relations Board is, uh, you know, is an agency that can choose to hear these issues as it wants. Uh, so it's a little bit unclear right now. What has been Amazon's reaction to all of this? Well, you know, they have applauded the uh, the defeat of the union effort. Um, you know, the, they have said it was really it wasn't a victory as much as it was their workers, you know, expressing themselves and saying they didn't need a union coming between uh, the company and themselves. Uh, you know, and, and they, they have also... Uh, refuted the claims by the union that uh, that Amazon has engaged in um, unfair labor practices. That's Jay Green from the Washington Post. Across the pond, the death of a prince, Prince Philip, the husband of Queen Elizabeth, has died at the age of 99. Camus Taylor Van Sice got the latest from ABC's Tom Rivers in London. Tom, there is not an equivalent here in the U.S. He, he wasn't uh, featured on tabloids and grocery stores either, like, uh, like his children and grandchildren. How important was Prince Philip in the eyes of most Britons? He was very, very important. You think back that most people knew uh, him as part of their life as, as maybe a child or a teen or, or a grown-up. Um, he's been around and 
been on the scene for, for a long, long period of time, married in 47. And, of course, how many presidents? Well, all the presidents he's met since then to the present day, prime ministers as well. He's the uh, seat at the, at, the, at the history table, he's always been there and always been the backstop, the advisor behind the scenes for the queen. So it's going to be interesting now. It's going to be a tough road for her, especially as she's going to be coming up to 95 now, having to go it alone. So I think a lot of her duties will now be, if you will, handed off to the heir to the throne, Prince Charles, so she has a little bit of an easier ride in the years ahead. Is this a retirement, potentially, or an event that would spark retirement for the Queen? I would guess the only time she would think of retirement, quote-unquote, is if she became physically or mentally incapacitated. Uh, you think back to uh, 53 at her uh, coronation. She said, look, this is my job for life. And up to this point, that's how she's approached it. So, no, she's not one to uh, abdicate unless you know it, it, she's forced to do so, put it that way. And Prince Philip came from Greek and Danish royalty, so he kind of knew the gig going into the marriage. But what was his duty as the royal consort? You know, what what does a royal spouse do with all of that time and privilege? Yeah, well, you become an advisor. Uh, you become the ear. You know, you, if you are the monarch uh, of, of a country like the UK, you're oftentimes surrounded by a lot of yes people. Well, he was the honest backstop to say yes. This is how I would change the phrase in your Christmas message this year. Maybe a statement being released by Buckingham Palace saying I would use this word in the second paragraph and I'd flip-flop things maybe in the third. He was always there to help as best he could behind the scenes, not in front of the scenes, although he uh, was a bit gaff-proof at at times and put his foot in his mouth a few times. But uh, again, for the most part, he was there really to, to help and uh, to advise his wife. There's always a a pretty big contingent of royal watchers here in the United States uh, for weddings and funerals, and so many of us remember watching the Princess Diana funeral. Um, Any idea what could be in store for Prince Philip? Yeah, well, if you you looked at some of the notes that all the networks have had for for many, many years, the wire services saying, look, at some stage, you know, Philip's going to go. This is, well, all of those notes have really been sidelined because of the pandemic. Um, what was going to be a quote-unquote near-state funeral uh, with all of its pomp and ceremonies kind of been pushed off to the side simply because of the pandemic. Uh, the royal family is urging people, for instance, please don't bring floral tributes to the gates of Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle. Instead, donate some money to a charity that you like and respect. Uh, the actual funeral itself is going to be a private affair St. George's Chapel on the grounds of Windsor Castle. Of course, that was the same venue where Harry and Meghan tied the knot just three years ago. That's ABC's Tom Rivers in London talking with Como's Taylor Van Sice. Back here in the U.S., the Supreme Court has come up once again as the issue of packing the court has resurfaced among liberals. And the president seems to be placating them, at least somewhat. I'm joined now by ABC's Andy Field. President Biden stopped short of saying that he would pack the court, didn't he? He did. He, he said he's never been a huge fan of it. Um, but, of course, he has to answer to his constituency. Uh, this is what we call in Washington the typical punt the ball. I would imagine not a whole lot of anything's going to come out of this. But this commission is going to look at uh, whether they need to reform uh, the entire 
judicial system, not just the Supreme Court, but whether there should be term limits for Supreme Court justices or other federal judges. Uh, there have been justices on the Supreme Court recently who said that even they don't think that's a great idea, that, you know, it's it's basically saying that they are junior league politicians and not people who, despite their political leanings before they got on the court, use that in terms of how they make their decisions. Now, of course, we know that there are certainly right-leaning judges and left-leaning judges on the court by the way those decisions are made and how they interpret these laws. Uh, and Joe Biden's kind of you know between a rock and a hard place, so he put this commission together, which, by the way, is not going to make any recommendations. They're just going to say, here's our report, here's what we see, do with it what you, uh, what you will. And, uh, of course, at the White House press briefing today, Jen Psaki got hammered on that. And she said, look, you know, he's going to look at the the findings of the thing and he'll make his own decision. Now, what about packing the court? Because the number of justices on the bench is not set in stone by the Constitution. This is going to be something that lawmakers will have to vote on. And, of course, even that's going to be difficult because uh, you've got only a 51 vote majority for the Democrats in the Senate right now. And that's that's the sticking point. And you've got two senators who tend to lean more conservative than Republican lately. That's Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, uh, who, by the way, Joe Manchin has put up a brick wall for the president when it comes to either overriding the filibuster, said he's not going to do it. So uh, the president has the thinnest of thin majorities in the Senate, and sometimes maybe even not even that. Well, this is not just the Supreme Court, too. You know, you mentioned it a little earlier on. You've got appellate court judges. Uh, you've got district court judges, all of which are appointed for life. That's true. And really, this politicization of judges really started, you know, we go back to Roosevelt when he tried to pack the court. Uh, but in more recent years, uh, it was Judge Bork. In fact, now the, the term of attacking a Supreme Court nominee from their past writings is called getting borked because uh, he indeed had the same thing happen to him uh, during Supreme Court hearings, and, and he did not uh, get the job. Uh, but this really all started when uh, recently with Mitch McConnell blocking almost every judicial appointee that President Obama had just said it's not going to happen under my watch. It got so frustrating that the Democrats who at the point at that point were in charge of the Senate got rid of the filibuster for federal judge appointees. Uh, the Republicans said, well, you just wait until we get back in power. And they did the same thing to the Democrats uh, only for the Supreme Court nominees. So this is where this filibuster, this 60-vote supermajority, has been slowly eroded. And there are many Democrats saying you got to do the same thing to Republicans now that the Democrats are in power. But it doesn't look like they still have enough votes, even with the Democrats having a one-vote majority, to make that happen. That's ABC's Andy Field reporting from Washington. And that'll do it for this episode of the Como Politicast. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. And for more... Be sure to check out our other shows such as Como News This Week, Life Beat with Marina Rockinger, and our hourly news updates. All are available at comonews.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Pogel. Thank you for listening and have a good week.